This is Dr. C, and I'm stoked to welcome you to an episode of Christory the Podcast. When history is told by Christine, the good old days, and even the not-so-good old days, will make you nod your head. I'm glad you made it to the party. Let's do this. Wishing you welcome again to Christory, where history rules and it's always an adventure. At least the history that we explore here, because we leave the boring stuff in the beaten track to someone else. This is Dr. Christine Contrada, and in today's episode of Christory, we're off to the city. And I do mean the city. The Big Apple. Gotham? Call it what you will. New York, here we come. In Christory's last podcast, Bologna's cultural heritage was the focus during some extreme flooding in the region. This week, I'm in New York under an orange burning sky that will send you packing to the nearest bodega to buy Visine. Depending on who you ask, the city has become Blade Runner, Thunderdome, or the sepia filter that social media now dubs the Mexico filter because it's so heavily used by American movie makers when their characters are south of the border. The culprit of this burning sky... Well, New York was covered by a monstrous plume of smoke created by massive fires that have gone out of control in Canada, burning more than 10 million acres of forest and counting. The smoke has funneled down the Hudson Valley into downstate New York. Any New Yorker who sat in traffic, especially in summer, notices ozone levels. But these are frightening levels of pollution. The fine particles in the smoky air are only about a 30th as wide as a piece of human hair, and they're extremely dangerous because they're small enough to get into the lungs and then into your bloodstream. These high levels have been unheard of. New York had the worst air quality in the entire world at one point. The color purple that most of us have never seen on the Apple weather map made for a really unnerving couple of days. In the face of this, New Yorkers were donning masks like it was 2020, but seemingly going about their business as usual. I'm not surprised, because you have to be pretty tough to deal with what New Yorkers deal with on a daily basis. Adversity is a green life to charge in the New York brain. And speaking of the New York mentality... Besides being tough, it certainly helps to have a sarcastic sense of humor to get through these things. Since New York humor is also defined by the witty put-down, Canada was definitely on the chopping block this week. Memes from Cheech and Chong driving in a smoke-filled car down the Long Island Expressway to encouraging South Park's musical interlude, Blame Canada, to WWF stars walking out of a plume of smoke into a ring have filled local social media pages. For Italian-Americans, the sky looked remarkably like the color of a Tupperware stained orange because you made the mistake of reheating tomato sauce in the microwave a few times like a putz. New Yorkers tend to be of the mind that if you live through something, you have every right in the world to make a joke about it. Humor does help to keep your mind off the worst, so humor is a coping mechanism for many to deal with tragedy. For some, if you make fun of it, it's a lot less horrifying. For better or worse, the historian in me tends to head towards the historical event. In this case, I already had plans to drive into Brooklyn anyway, 
Driving into the city from the east end of Long Island is always an adventure, but by the time I got to Queens and rolled in, the sky was so orange it looked like Mars, and the usual landmarks like Corona Park were behind a veil of smoke. The best thing to do in Queens in the face of an apocalypse, in my humble opinion, is to find a sushi joint, belly up to the bar until the worst of it passes. The guy in the stool next to me remarked with a head shake that it looked and smelled way too much like 9-11 out there, and it did. And I'm hoping it isn't like 9-11 in the sense that they said, oh, the air won't hurt you, and then years later, the cancer started. In this case, the mayor of the city and the governor of New York State did eventually strongly suggest staying inside. But it wasn't like the inside of our homes didn't smell like fire at that point. Reading between the lines, it kind of sounded like pick your poison. Now, New York has had more than its fair share of man-made disasters. But Mother Nature has also thrown New York some serious shade over the years. I'm going to touch on five historically noteworthy natural disasters to sucker punch New York over the years. Number one. Hurricanes. A hurricane is a cyclone which forms over tropical waters. The storm rotates around an area of low pressure with heavy rains and strong winds of at least 74 miles an hour, or is a tropical storm. That's faster than a cheetah, by the way, in case you thought it was nothing. Oh, and they can be up to 157 miles an hour, which is as fast as a high-speed train. In the case of the Atlantic, sometimes the hurricanes blow out to sea. Sometimes they beeline up the coast for New York like a tourist on a mission. And I'd like to give a shout out to Hurricane Gloria, because for kids of a certain age, Hurricane Gloria was formative. It slammed into New York City and Long Island in 1985, bringing a seven-foot storm surge and sustained winds of 115 miles an hour. Before computers and remote learning, schools were locked, and we were cooking canned food on the barbecue for over a week. With no water, because the east end of Long Island didn't have city water, and we were reliant on wells with electric pumps. It was the only time in my life that my Italian-American family was all about Chef Boyardee, our new paisan. For any Long Islander who remembers the good old dairy barn, think 7-Eleven with a drive-thru, if you don't know it. They managed to stay open and keep us going. So that was Hurricane Gloria, but there was this big fat monster that was Hurricane Sandy in 2012, all 1,150 miles across of it, which is the biggest Atlantic hurricane on record. Wind-wise, it was a wimp. But the storm surge is what slapped New York senseless. It hit the shore at a perpendicular angle with onshore winds that drove a huge storm surge during a high tide in the middle of a full moon. This beast brought 14-foot storm surge into lower Manhattan. Destructive is the least of it. You're never going to find another Gloria or Sandy because both of these names for storms have been retired. I'd like to think that they've been dumped by New York. Number two, blizzards. 
The most snow to ever fall in Manhattan was in 2006, when almost 27 inches of snow fell in Central Park. The problem in Manhattan is that A, the snow stays white for about 20 seconds, and B, the snow has to go somewhere. So they take it out in garbage trucks and dump it in the East River. It always seems like the outer boroughs point the finger at Manhattan for getting cleaned up while they sit and wait like Cinderella wishing she was going to the ball. Images of New Yorkers trudging through the snow make for great photography and honestly, better snow than a polar vortex. Which brings us to number three, the polar vortex. These things remind me of standing at the bus stop in Jamaica, Queens, trying to keep my eyeballs from freezing, and half expecting a penguin to roll by in a Cadillac Escalade. These polar jet streams are brutal. They bring dangerously cold sub-zero temps and add significant Arctic drama to everyone's morning commute. The coldest temperature ever recorded in New York City was negative 15 degrees Fahrenheit, thanks to one of these beasts in 1934. The problem with these vortexes is that the wind chills are much lower, and the winds tend to be pretty nasty in these systems. In New York, the temperature can drop 40 degrees in a single day. That is adding insult to injury. These cold weather whiplash, it's going to hit even the toughest New Yorkers pretty hard. Now on the other extreme, number four, we have heat waves. Especially those combined with power outages can be pretty brutal. Like the 1966 song, Summer in the City, said, Hot days in the city make people look half dead, walking on the sidewalk hotter than a match head. Truth. Every summer in New York has moments that are so bad, even the East River looks inviting. But noteworthy was the 1977 heat wave. The power went out for two days in almost the entire city, all five boroughs, except for parts of southern Queens. The blackout was caused by multiple lightning strikes, and the heat was causing even more usage than normal of the electricity in the city, which is way too much for the antiquated system to handle. Batman didn't save the day. And sans Batman to the rescue, the humans of New York definitely told Mother Nature to hold their warm beers while they looted and burned the city during the blackout. The most badly affected neighborhoods were Crown Heights and Bushwick. They've been gentrified in recent years, but those were some rough neighborhoods in the 1970s. 550 police officers were injured, and almost 5,000 people were arrested not one to be outdone by Brooklyn. Thieves in the Bronx stole new cars out of any dealership that they could break into during the blackout. Con Edison, the electric company in New York, called it an act of God, but really, it was an act of Con Ed. And the city turned into Lord of the Flies. It might have been hot inside, but many chose to stay inside, especially women with long, dark hair, as it was also the summer of Sam, and the serial killer David Berkowitz was still on the prowl across the city during the blackout. He would be caught soon after, thanks to a parking ticket. There are three things on this earth that New Yorkers, psychopath or not, can't dodge. Death, 
the IRS, and the meter maid. Number five, historical fires. New York is getting secondhand smoke from Canada right now, but the smoke isn't always secondhand, and fires in the city are quite common historical events. A few stand out, though, as being historically significant in New York. Most notorious was the Triangle Shirtwaist Company fire, which started in a bin of rags and ripped through the garment factory in 1911, killing 146 workers. Most of the victims were young immigrant girls working 12-hour shifts for shockingly low wages in sweatshop-like conditions. Many of these workers died because the doors were locked and they couldn't escape. So many plunged down into the street to their death, trying to flee the flames. The tragedy was so egregious that it fueled unions to form and push for laws to protect workers. To add insult to injury, the company paid survivor benefits at a mere $75, only after being sued, and after their insurance company had paid $400 a worker, they pocketed the rest. It's not a good look. And this building still stands today. It's called the Brown Building, and it's now an academic building on the NYU campus near Washington Square Park. Also noteworthy was the Brooklyn Theater Fire of 1876 in Cadman Square. This fire killed almost 300 people. The set caught fire, and it was ablaze within 10 minutes. There's a common grave in Greenwood Cemetery with over 100 unidentified victims of the fire. One of the deadliest theater fires in U.S. history, the high death tolls are due to the limited access that people had to exits, So it's similar to the Triangle Shirtwaist fire in that regard. People knew how to get out of the building, but they simply couldn't. The New York Times reported when it was still a hometown paper, and I quote, It was difficult to discuss calmly the frightful disaster which happened in Brooklyn on Tuesday night. No such awful sacrifice of human life has ever been known in this country Shipwreck and casualties of war alone being the exception. Apparently, the actors even tried to stay in character until the burning wood began falling on them to keep people calm. Most of the deaths were families in the cheap seats, many of whom were crushed to death trying to get out. It was absolute calamity. Now, New York makes it a point to outdo everybody. And case in point... Most cities get one great fire. New York had two, 1776 and 1845. The Great New York Fire of 1845 destroyed more than 15 city blocks and hundreds of buildings. Apparently, the city grew much faster than the fire department. They simply didn't have the manpower to stop the blaze. Then Mother Nature sent some high winds to fan those flames. The East River was frozen, so trying to get through the ice for water to aid in putting out the fire became extremely difficult, which added to the drama. Lower Manhattan is where it started, and in a desperate effort to stop the fire, sailors were using gunpowder to try to destroy buildings in the fire's path to choke the blaze. Talk about friendly fire. A newspaper in London noted the tenacity of New Yorkers by stating, 
The property consumed is estimated at $20 million. In the midst of this terrible visitation, however, it's consolary to see the elastic energy of people. Instead of wasting their time in despondency over this frightful desolation, the whole population seems to be alert to repair the mischief. And speaking of the British, the 1776 fire burned around 20% of Manhattan while it was under British occupation during the Revolutionary War. The Redcoats blamed Washington for arson, but the colonists said it was the British who did it more to plunder the town like pirates. The fire did make it easier for the British to put the city under martial law until the British were run out in 1783. Somebody on one side or the other was more of a pyro than even Beavis and Butthead, that's for sure. So in sum, nothing Mother Nature can dish is something that New York City hasn't seen before. But this week was historically bad. Lead environmental scientists at Stanford University checking the air quality in New York during the worst of it said, and I quote, Jesus, it was bad. And then he checked the results four times because it was so unbelievably bad. Climate change certainly seems to be at least part of the problem here. But nation states will be nation states. And with all eyes on Canada, particularly New Yorkers, on the receiving end of this toxic secondhand smoke, it's a little shady to note that Canadian officials are not reporting these greenhouse emissions as part of the Paris Climate Agreement and that environmentalists have long pointed to negligence when it comes to controlled burning in Canada, much of which which have prevented many of these fires. As with most things, these decisions are way above my pay grade. It's an odd thing, but at least this native New Yorker has a hard time dealing with New York being under siege when I'm not in it. I prefer to go down with the ship kicking and cursing, which is far more New York than screaming. Colorful language is as New York as Snapple drinks. Founded by three besties from the city, Marsh, Golden, and Greenberg, they founded this drink Long Island side in 1972. Now, back in 1999, we used to collect Snapple elements bottles, earth, air, sun, fire style, They are back, sans glass bottles, and like most things, the nostalgia is real, but the drinks themselves aren't that good. I'd like to think that nobody really wants to deal with these elements going haywire in real life. Better to have them as mundane labels on a fruit drink. As described earlier, humor is good medicine in the face of extreme weather. George Carlin, New Yorker extraordinaire, said doing stand-up in Madison Square Garden in 1992, the planet isn't going anywhere. We are. We're going away. Pack your shit, folks. We're going away, and we won't leave much of a trace either. Thank God for that. Maybe a little styrofoam. Maybe a little styrofoam. The planet will be here. We'll be gone. Just another failed mutation. Just another... Closed end biological mistake, an evolutionary cul-de-sac. The planet will shake us off like a bad case of fleas, a surface nuisance. So that was George Carlin. 
And George Carlin is as deeply polarizing as where you can buy the best bagel in New York. He's considered by many to be a modern philosopher, and this historian agrees, because like all philosophers, he shines a spotlight on a historical moment in time. If the age of the Earth was measured in the form of a 24-hour clock, us humans would appear a few seconds before midnight. Incredible, when you think that Chrysery is never going to run out of historical fodder. That's often steeped in disaster to discuss. In the face of disaster, Americans are quick as lightning, pun intended, to offer thoughts and prayers. For Carlin, an unapologetic atheist, he said that he prays to Joe Pesci because he, and I quote, looks like a guy who can get things done. I'm absolutely going with that the next time disaster strikes. I'm going to pray to Joe Pesci. So see you next time, and thanks for coming along for the ride. Catch you later. 